This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate. The average person, they say, has three days worth of food in their pantry. Well, if the average person has three days worth of food, they've already met FEMA's standard for food storage. (laughs) But, you know, you need more than that. You need at least 30 days. 30 days because those guys up in New Jersey that got hit by Sandy, they were out of out of whack for a lot longer than 30 days. Hi, welcome to Ian Weekly, and this is your host, Todd DeVoe speaking, and this week we're talking about civil defense and what it means to prepare your community. And a lot of things we've been talking about here regarding disaster-resilient cities and Brock Long's idea of what it is to be community-prepared really kind of has taken that the next step forward is really reinventing or reestablishing, I should say, the concepts of civil defense in our communities. And one of the things that I did in the past was we had a program that we piggybacked on the concepts of neighborhood watch programs and we called it neighbor for neighbor and the neighbor for neighbor program was where we would go in each block and we would have people have like a potluck dinner or or lunch and the community members or the neighborhood members I should say would come and then we'd have presentations from the police department and the fire department and talk about preparedness um, within your neighborhood. And we are introducing neighbors to neighbors. And if you think about it, in today's society, especially in the, in the urban settings and some of the suburban settings, neighbors really don't know who their neighbors are. They might wave to them, but they really don't know much about them. And this concept of the neighbor for neighbor was knocking down those barriers and allowing people to meet each other, sometimes for the first time really, and get to know like how we can help each other. And in the concept of the Neighborhood for Neighbor program, it was more for as the daily emergencies, if you will, right? If you have a shut-in person, knowing who they are so you can help them out. Uh, somebody who needs a ride to the doctor's office, you know, that type of stuff. You know, so that's what this idea of Neighbor for Neighbor is. It's not just for the big emergencies, but it's for the small things as well and getting to know each other. So your neighbor is prepared. And this is the concept behind the civil defense program that we're going to be talking about today. I really think it's important because in light of the, 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 the recent fires that we've been having here on the, uh, the America's West, right? Utah's on fire, Idaho, Washington, Oregon, California. You know, there's a bunch of fires that are going on right now. And you can kind of see how with the evacuations that are occurring in those things that a neighborhood program like this would really help. And it also helps with the criminal side things. Like if you take a think of a neighborhood watch. And think about it as this being neighborhood watch times 10, okay? You're 10xing that, prog- that program. So I really think it's important. So our guest here, he, he has a lot of law enforcement experience, and he created this program from the ground up in, in Virginia, and he's willing to share this information with everybody. And Preston, he's a really cool guy. I'll let you guys take a listen to him really quick. Today, I have Preston Slinekofer with me. Preston, I hope I didn't butcher your last name there too much. And we're kind of excited. And one of the things that we talked about, and especially you know, after the Brock Long um, interview, was how do we get people to go into a culture of preparedness? And we kind of 
move a little bit further on that with the Michael Maybe interview. And today, I'm excited to have Preston with us because he has created a program in Virginia with the Virginia Civil Defense. So Preston, welcome to Ian Weekly. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So Preston, how did you get involved with or starting the Virginia Civil Defense uh, Organization? Well, it's, it's kind of a long journey that I took to get there. I'm old enough to remember having duck and cover training in, in elementary school. I was military. I was military police for almost 10 years, and I learned all the basics of emergency response, establishing a cordon, entry control points, command center, things like that. And I was also the board patrol representative for our, our joint city county emergency operations center. And with that, I was able to learn a lot and get trained in some aspects of, of that that operation. And, you know, one of the courses that they taught us was, was ICS, mm-hmm. which was kind of normal to me because some of the processes were, were what I learned in the military. And so uh, after 16 years on the border, I transferred to, to ICE and my emergency response training continued there where we had annual training on NIMS and response procedures for law enforcement and, and such as that. And then also my military career branched off. I, I changed jobs a couple of times in the military, but my last nearly 12 years, one, sh- one month shy of 12 years, I spent in a nuclear biological chemical defense company in the Texas Army National Guard. And I was, positions I, I had there were platoon sergeant for the reconnaissance platoon, the platoon sergeant for one of the four decontamination platoons, and also the NCOIC of the training platoon. And then I retired from that in 2000 as a Sergeant First Class E7. So that in a nutshell kind of describes my official training and and experience for the government to a degree. But then also after I came up to DC area, I was appointed on to the COOP, the the ICE COOP plan or COOP team, I should say. And, you know, our, our mission was if something happened in DC, then, then we would go to some secret location up in the mountains of Virginia. And so that was something interesting until I got home and, and told my wife about it. And she goes, well, what about me? <laughs> I'm going, let me think about that. <laughs> I, it was embarrassing. It really right. was. I had no answer for her. You know, here I am, you know, all badass, and I was going to go up in the mountains and, you know, be in the secret location. And, and I thought, oh, man, she got me on that. There was no answer, you know. So I asked around at work, and nobody had an answer. And, and so I started on a quest to understand what was available for the general population. And what I discovered uh, was pretty sad. And it, um, it didn't really bode well for our leadership at the, at the state and federal and, and even the local level because they're not thinking about it either. Otherwise, they'd be doing what I'm trying to do. And so there's, there's been a variety of things along the way that, that helps me to or that has helped me to, to come up with these ideas. You know, I've studied, I've read a lot of, of various books about the subjects and, you know, I've contemplated endlessly for the last uh, probably, probably four or five 
at least five years, almost six years now, probably <laughs> since that happened. This was 2012. We got married. So uh, it's been about six years. And so, you know, I've, I've had to look back on my prior training and uh, I said, you know, civil defense there after nine 11, there was quite a few calls for civil defense to be reinstituted, but it never went anywhere because it wasn't politically something that people wanted to do at the, at the political level. And so recently I, I read this, this uh, synopsis of the various presidential administrations and their support for or against civil defense. And I realized that it supported my understanding that it's not something that, that the government has to do. It's something that we, the people, need to do. We need to be in charge of our own safety and security during disasters and catastrophes, especially long-term ones like what is posed by EMPs or uh, uh, CMEs or, you know, some kind of grid-down catastrophe that, that wipes out our electrical grid for an extended period of time. And so that is where we're at sort of with, with uh, Civil Defense Virginia. What I intend for this, co- uh, this organization is to go out and build a grassroots organization at the local level. We're not a membership organization. There's only six of us, which is all of, a, all of us are board of, you know, on the board of directors. And so what we want to do is we want to help the local emergency manager, political leader, or local citizen who has the, the wherewithal to you know, to head up something like this, to start a a local community-based civil defense organization as proposed in the House Resolution 762 from the 112th Congress. It spells it out very simply in in four pages, you know, some ideas of how to better prepare our local communities. And that resolution is powerful for giving us motivation to do just what I'm trying to do. What do you guys do differently than, say, an organized CERT program, a community emergency response team program, or um, other volunteer organizations such as, like, say, Team Rubicon or the American Red Cross? What do you guys do that are going to be that's going to be different than those organizations? Well, personally, uh, Civil Defense Virginia is totally different from those. We don't go out and do any relief efforts or anything like that as an organization. That is not the mission. The mission is to start a community-based civil defense organization within every city and county in the Commonwealth. That's our, our mission. And then it's the mission of the, the emergency manager and the leadership of the, the nonprofit civil defense organization to put together a game plan to address the needs of the community and to uh, the, the civil defense organization because it's of all-volunteer uh, resource multiplier for the, the the jurisdiction, whether it's a city or county, because uh, I, I spoke to a county emergency manager the other day, and uh, he said that he's got a 50-man CERT team. I said, that's great. That's a good start. What if you had a 50-man CERT team that was centered on each one of your fire stations around the, the county? How much help can you do for your county in that? And he just... he, he you know, he gave me this look like, wow, I never thought of that. That, I, I love CERT just because it's, it's a starting point. The, the legacy training that you get in CERT is the bare minimum, okay? You got to take things farther. You got to be able to turn into a real prepper. 
I mean, you have to be a prepper in order to survive a long-term catastrophic event. And the best way to do that is through a community-based civil defense organization that has the resources because they're a nonprofit organization that can go out and ask for money from different places and, you know, get sponsored and, and maybe even grants and things to, to help develop that resiliency within the community where cert they're limited to just what their little mission statement is, you know, and, and I don't know what kind of controls or limitations that, that FEMA puts on them, but I, I tech, you know, I would love to see a cert in every community in the country because it's a great starting point, like I said, but it doesn't go far enough. You need to have more preparation at the community level than what a cert is, is designed to do. So I want to, I want to kind of just talk a little bit about the, the term prepper, just because I know that in some cases it has a, a, a negative connotation, basically because of that TV show, the doomsday preppers. Yeah, that was where, terrible. Right. Where they think of people that are, that want to live off the grid, don't want to be part of the community that are stockpiling weapons and stuff like that. I know that when I teach the CERT program, we're teaching people to be prepared at home for any disaster. Specifically in California, we talk about oh, earthquakes, yeah. right? And fires, right? Yeah. That's really what we want to do. Encourage that type of person to have some food for more than a couple of days. And now using the concept of with Hurricane Sandy, or even uh-huh. like in the urban settings like New York City, where people didn't have food for, for days because they just, the grocery stores weren't able to get food in. That's yep. really what you're kind of talking about. You're really talking about a community preparedness type of thing, not yep. living off the grid, right? Yeah. Well, back in, back in uh, the old days of civil defense, there were emergency food supplies. You know, the food bank is, is a great instrument for helping people in need. But when you got the whole community in need, you need something a little bit larger than just that little community food bank that, that supplies you know, a few hundred or, or a few thousand people, depending on the size of the, the location, it becomes a bigger need because the average person, they say, has three days worth of food in their pantry. Well, if the average person has three days worth of food, they've already met FEMA's standard for food storage. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you need more than that. You need at least 30 days. 30 days because those guys up in New Jersey that got hit by Sandy, they were out of out of whack for a lot longer than 30 days. So there isn't too many emergencies that happen except for your, your casual electrical outage that happens because of storm or something, you know, it goes out for an hour or two. But if we're talking about days, weeks, or months, then we're talking something totally different. And the term prepper turns into life saving instead of some derogatory term. So, I mean, you're talking something like, what happened uh, what's happening I should say in Puerto Rico where exactly right where people are are, are struggling for food and water and electricity yeah. still to this day and yeah. that was and we're coming on what eight nine months ago when that when the hurricane came through yeah yeah we were <laughs> we went on a dive trip to Grand Cayman right after that hit and uh, we were worried that that Maria was gonna spoil our trip so I, I remember the whole season very well. I've got friends in the Houston area and I've tried calling them and calling them and calling them. I didn't get a hold of them until a couple of days after the thing was, you know, settling down just to find out if they were okay because everybody that I talked to, nobody heard anything from them. And so, you know, I was, I was worried that something may have happened, but no, they were, they were just busy because they were working hard to, uh, to help mitigate the disaster, not only in their home, but at the uh, ice operations there in, in the Houston area. And so, uh, 
it was hard time until I got a hold of these people. Right. Let's talk about Houston for a second, just because you're bringing it sure. up. It's really kind of interesting to think about it. So when Houston started having its issues, especially with the flooding, they called for anybody with a boat to please come help with the rescue. <laughs> and, and so the, the Cajun Navy started and they got the, the, the Texas Navy, as they call them, uh, yeah. going in there. <laughs> and, and, they, and, and so realistically, what you're talking about here is having a structure prior to the event with people with capabilities that can be called upon in case of a disaster. Exactly, exactly. People who are trained, who are certified, because a lot of times government gets in the way. I remember during uh, one storm, the state government was saying, well, you're not certified to rescue people. And the, the Cajuns are going, well, up yours. We're going anyways, because these people need us. And so I call the Cajun Navy the civil defense Cajun Navy, because that's exactly what they are. They're a civil defense element. And uh, anybody who is prepared or willing to, to do something like that is, you know, they're, they're heroes in, in everybody's book because they should, they should be given free latitude in a, an emergency. Who cares if somebody's certified to, to operate a boat and go rescue people with that boat? That's asinine to me. In, in an emergency like that, we, to, to get past that, we have to have people that are Vetted. I, I understand vetting process, and I agree wholeheartedly. The knowledge of who's going to do what, when, and where is is imperative to help mitigate the effects of a disaster. If the people in, in Houston would have, even a small portion of them, would have been trained to understand what happens in a flood and, and had the ability to do different things, like you said that the, the, uh, the Texas Navy stood up, well, that's great. That's the spirit of civil defense right there. Neighbors helping neighbors. That's the first priority. That's what it's all about. And, and I, I promote all the time. It starts in the family, neighborhood, community, family, neighborhood, community. That's the building block. And you, you said that you guys out there in California are, are working on preparedness for earthquakes and, and fires. Well, have you heard of uh, Map Your Neighborhood from the Washington State Emergency Management? Yes. That's an awesome program. To me, that's an entry-level program because that starts the discussion in the neighborhoods with you and your neighbors starting to talk about being prepared for an emergency. Well, that's a building block. And you have to engage people at the lowest level, which is right there at home at, in their neighbors. So they start talking about preparedness. Everybody's starting to put together the, the equipment for for an earthquake, you know, you got your, your gloves, your boots, your clothing, your flashlight, your uh, a helmet, and a fire extinguisher. And with Map Your Neighborhood, they have a, a sign that flips, yes, I'm okay, or no, I need help. And you put that in your window in the front of your house so the, the neighbors walking past can see, oh, I, that, they need help in there, and we're going to go help them. So it's a perfect program to start a discussion about preparedness. And then you build from there. You know, it doesn't talk about, about, you know, the 72 hours of food supply, but you know, what happens when you have to go to the bathroom? You can only flush that toilet so many times before things start getting full. As, you know, if there's no water, mm-hmm. if there's no power to your, to your uh, sewage plants, you got to start thinking about that. You got to start thinking about first aid kits for your house, for your vehicles, in case there's an emergency when you're away from home. You need to know how to use the contents in your, your first aid kit. You got to think about water purification. I've got filters to filter water. I've got 
uh, a poor man's Berkey filter that's a that's two six gallon buckets with two Berkey charcoal filters to filter the water, and then I've got replacements for when those are full or contaminated. Right. So you know you got to think about things like that, and you know the map your neighborhood doesn't talk about it. Being a uh, a certain team member doesn't really discuss all that. You know you learn some good stuff, but you have to take that to a farther step. You have to take it to because you know, let, let's talk about all hazard, all hazard approach to disaster preparedness, right? right? If we're going to talk about all hazards, let's include EMP, CME, physical attack, combined physical attack and cyber and EMP at one time, which is what the, the Soviet and um, the, the, the Russian and Chinese and Korean, North Korean and Iranian uh, attack model is. That's their strategy. They'll, they'll hit you with cyber. Uh, if they can hit you with an EMP, they'll do that. And then they'll, they'll use their saboteurs that are already probably in place to hit your physical structures. Uh, Metcalf substation out in San Jose, California got hit right. years ago. Mm-hmm. That many believe, and I talked with a, a gentleman yesterday that pretty plugged in, he believes also that that was a trial run. So has it happened before? Yes, it has. Have we been hit by an EMP? No. But there's always a first time, and that, that's a time that we don't really want to cross. Right. We, we, we have to be prepared for that. So an all-hazard response, sure, you know, we've got, I guess FEMA's working on a grit-down exercise based on a, a coronal mass ejection or a solar flare. That's great. You know, that's a number two on the rung of serious hits. EMP is the first. CME is number two because it, t- it wipes out everything that's plugged into the grid at the moment. Your car, not a problem. Your cell phone, as long as it's not plugged into the, the phone jack, not a problem. Your computer that's plugged in, it's dead. But your phone won't work because the, the cell tower is dead because it was plugged into the grid. Right. You know, and so, you know, there's, there's various problems with that scenario as well. As a matter of fact, one of the books that I'm going to recommend is, is from... Oh, yeah, yeah, wait, 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 don't, 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 yeah. it'll, it'll, it'll address that, it'll address that. Um, so, so let me ask this real quick, so now this program is, is geared towards the emergency manager, most of the people that yes. listen to us are yes. professional emergency managers working, yes. I mean, you know, Brock Long listens to us, you know what I mean, yes. so you got him listening all the way down to the student who wants to be an emergency manager. Yes, and commend them for the tough job that they have with the limited resources and support that they get. I, I'm not opposed to those guys or, right. or uh, I don't have any problems with them. I just, I believe that they live and they're, they're trained in a certain mentality. They're hard pressed to, to step outside that, that box. And how, how do you, how do you integrate? How do you take, cause like there's a program that I started a few years ago when I was at a, a city and we call it neighbor for neighbor. And we basically took the, the model of neighborhood watch and, uh-huh. and took that and we put disaster preparedness into it. Uh-huh. And, and so we would go amongst the neighborhoods um, within our city that I worked at, at the block level. And we had block little block party, brought the fire department, the police department, emergency management, cert team, all those people out to do some basic training and to encourage people to meet each other. Little barbecue, everybody did like a potluck. It was a that's lot of awesome. fun. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. That's, yeah. what, that's what we're doing. How, how can you, what resources do you have for the emergency manager to help start programs like a neighbor for neighbor or a civil defense program like you're talking about? What do you have for the, or, or does, do you think this has to be organic ground up or can the emergency manager help 
instill the civil defense thought process into their neighborhoods. The rest of that story when we return from our break. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we're always inventing new technology to help people stay safe and help people who can provide help get connected with people who need help. At Titan HST, we've deployed mesh networking, allowing emergency communication, even when networks are down, augmented reality, and real-time translation. We believe in the power of people to help each other stay safe and thrive. Exercises are a cornerstone of emergency preparedness, but can be costly, time-consuming, and complicated. TTX Vault can ease the exercise planning process with our wide array of tabletop, drill, and functional exercise packages that are fully adjustable. Once you choose the appropriate discipline and emergency scenario, you'll receive the exercise, all HSEEP suggested paperwork pre-filled out, access to our online simulation environment, Chelsea County, USA, and 30 minutes of phone consultation. Get your time back at ttxvault.com. Welcome back from that quick break, and thank you so much for listening to the sponsors, because without them, we couldn't do what we're doing here at Ian Weekly, and hit them up, check them out, say hi, tell them that uh, we sent you. Now for the rest of the story. Can the emergency manager help instill the civil defense thought process into their neighborhoods? Completely. I think that the the civil defense idea is is not uh, just my idea. There's there's people out there that are calling for it. You interviewed Michael Maybe. He's he's become a good friend of mine. He supports Civil Defense Virginia in a lot of ways. He has he wrote the book literally. So emergency managers, you know, I ask you, one, get out there and study the really serious threats and start considering putting these into your training matrix because they need to be there. You need to understand how deep the abyss is before you can know how to get out of it. And that's what I see an EMP catastrophe as. It's an abyss. And I won't get into the books that, that talk about this yet. But uh, there's a lot that can be done. There's a lot of reading. I read a lot of books, a lot of articles, a lot of things to help me get to where I am right now. It was a long journey. It was a confusing journey to some respect because, you know, I'm trained in, in, in a lot of things that, that are traditional as well, being law enforcement and military. But some of the things that I've learned have, have enabled me to, to step out of that traditional model and look at stuff. You have to look at stuff from a different perspective. And I, I liken, whether it's correct or not, this is my perception of it, I liken the training method for emergency management today as being a mad theory of emergency management. And I say mad is M-A-D, mutually assured destruction, which is the old policy that we used to have when we were worried about a nuclear exchange between us and the old Soviet Union. And so we would not protect our people, they would not protect their people, and we would have unacceptable losses if we had an exchange. Well, at the same time, guess who was building bunkers like crazy? The government, so that they could do that continuity of government, continuity of operations. Well, they discontinued continuity of community, which is civil defense. And they said, well, Mary and John Smith don't need to worry about preparing for an emergency anymore because, you know, we're the government. We're here to help. Think about it. It's wrong. It's wrong. 
everybody needs to be engaged in their own safety and security during a crisis, catastrophe, disaster, whatever. So everybody, their home is a starting point. Their neighborhood, they can be working on that too, and the community. I mean, it's a building block. It it needs to be done. We have to get back to being self-reliant, like our grandparents and great-grandparents. They knew how to do that. We don't as a culture. We've lost that. And Brock's call for a culture of preparedness, hey, I support it. You know, I raised my hand as soon as I read it. And, you know, I said, hey, call on me. I I, I can help you. Their new strategic plan, the the 2018-2022 strategic plan that they put out is great. The only thing they forgot was to mention civil defense because they're talking about it. Right. The things that they describe in there is civil defense. They just, they failed to say the words. Maybe it's politically incorrect to say the words because, you know, too many people have a negative connotation about it, but we need to change that. We need to change that negative connotation to a positive connotation because civil defense is what needs to happen in order to save our communities and be less, less susceptible to these natural man-made disasters. Derek Graff in his book, Raven Rock really gets into <laughs> really gets into into the whole process of of continuity government all the way from before the nuclear the first nuclear bomb ever dropped under FDR's administration all the way to where we are pretty much today and I really found that interesting that the timeline and, and the way it goes and you did see a shift from the fifties sixties and then obviously yeah. with FEMA coming in in the seventies with a shift yep. of moving away from the concept of civil defense and it seems like. Due to whatever reason, whether it's it's uh, people are realizing it or if the government is realizing it or whatever, but we're shifting back to the civil defense mindset with starting with the SIR programs that yeah. created, you know, back in the 90s that kind of came up. And then I really see it now with the hurricanes that came across last oh, season. Yeah. You know, with the three of them that really hit hard and specifically, you know, and, and God bless the people in Puerto Rico that are dealing with the stuff right now. The, the, what's going on in Puerto Rico where small enclaves of people are coming together and saying, hey, we can build solar here. We can we can grow vegetables here. We can feed our communities here locally. We're not relying upon the big government to come in and to, and to save us. And I see and I think it's an exciting time to see that shift. And yes. I think I think as an emergency manager. I would like to encourage that because yeah. if we could take those people, when I say those people, those that don't need our help um, yes. off the table, it allows us to really focus on the people that really need our help. Exactly. The, the underserved community is best served by the community who supports them. You know, if let's say, let's say you have an area in your, your, your town, let's say we're, let's talk about a small town because it's easier to visualize. If you have a portion of that town that's just a few blocks in circumference that is underprivileged, underserved, the rest of the community, by being organized and ready for an emergency, can help them during that time. Because if you're well-prepared, you can help your neighbor. If you and your neighbor, your neighborhood is prepared, you can help the neighborhood next door. If your community is together and prepared, you can help the community next door. It's a building block again. It starts at the basic individual family level and builds out. So the, uh, you know, it, you have to have a big vision of, of how this is going to look uh, once, once this, this thing takes over. You know, I, I've seen in some of the things I've looked at, uh, militarization of, of the population. It's not militarization. It's 
preparing for emergencies and disasters, which saves, why why are we spending billions of dollars to, to rebuild when if we spent a few million dollars to prepare, we'd be miles ahead. It's, it's smarter planning and better math. Yeah. Every $1 spent in preparedness saves $6 on recovery. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's across the board. We, we know this, you know, this is why we as emergency managers focus on the preparedness aspect of things. I mean, we do the mitigation process of saving, you know, of, of hardening buildings. So if there is an earthquake, they're not going to fall over or, or for tornadoes or for hurricanes or whatever the major risk is in your particular jurisdiction. You know, those mitigation monies really go far into helping save money on the recovery. So, you know, I think, I think that's really important. And, you know, and I think it's a twofold with the idea of hardening our buildings, our infrastructure, our roadways, Mm -hmm. our bridges, our tunnels, making sure flooding doesn't happen. Exactly. Stopping the ridiculous practice, and I'm not going to make friends here on some people, but (laughs) stopping the ridiculous practice of building in the floodplains and inside the reservoir, like what's happened in Houston. Yeah. Yeah. And then going further than that and and helping groups like yours popular or, or bring that information to the population so the population can be prepared. And I think as emergency managers, we say these words strongly, we support CERT programs strongly, and then we kind of go, oh, I don't know how to to get the population prepared. I know in Orange County, California, we have 3.5 million residents yeah. in Orange County, California. That's a lot. And out of those 3.5 million residents doing a survey of the are you prepared were somewhere around 2% that said that they had a 72-hour kit. What does that mean for them? I don't know. So 2% of the population of 3.5 million are are self-admitted prepared. Whether it's more or not, but we're just going with a survey that we have to go with, right? And so that's what we're talking about, 2% of the population. You know, we really need to be upwards around, you know, 80, 90%. And you're right. Back in the day, you know, uh, you know, around the, the turn of the depression time, yeah. we had, and during World War II, we had people that were, knew how to garden, knew how yeah. to uh, to uh, collect rainwater, process that rainwater. So Even into the 50s, we had that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we've kind of lost that. The other exactly. thing I think we've lost too is the idea of knowing who your neighbor is. And yeah. I think, and that perpetuates fear, right? And so people were more likely put security cameras and stuff like this in their home to prevent people from, from coming than going out and learning who your neighbor is to know how to, to gel together in time of crisis. Well, there's a, a mantra in the prepper community that says, don't tell anybody what you got, you know, because they may come over and, and want to share yours. So that is a problem to some degree, but you know, there's the way I see it. If Let's say let's say Civil Defense Virginia was Civil Defense Spotsylvania, which is I live in Spotsylvania County here in Virginia, and uh, Sp- Civil Defense Spotsylvania, and I'm partnering with the uh, emergency manager for the county, and and we're having these joint events, we're having fairs, we're having every time there's there's some kind of event, we have a booth there, and we're promoting this, and and we're going out to civic organizations, teaching people about what civil defense is and how to, how to better prepare. We're, we're producing all these things like handouts and, and guides to, to prepare. There's a lot more credibility there. So there's a lot more people willing to participate. Right now, you don't even have every community in the country that's willing to sit down with FEMA and say, yeah, we want a CERT team. 
Why? Because they're afraid or they don't like having the ability uh, where, you know, FEMA is going to come in and, and, you know, tell them what to do in some way. You know, there's that fear out there of government. So that's why, that's one of the reasons why this has to be a a community-based grassroots organization that does this because that way it's not the city, the county, the state, or the federal government coming in and doing this. But you have buy-in from your local emergency manager and the state emergency managers as well. So it's something that has to be done throughout the country. Uh, I'm just focusing right now on Virginia because this is where I live. It's, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to export it wherever possible too. There's a guy in Nebraska who just started a, uh, an organization like ours. And, uh, I've talked to him a couple of times and, and, uh, he, he, you know, is on my Facebook, the company or the organization Facebook all the time. Then Michael maybe just shared some stuff with me about, a a guy up in, uh, Maine, who's a, an emergency manager after reading Mike's book said, I want a civil defense organization here. How can I do it? So how do people, number one, do you guys have resources that you share? Well, I have a guide that I've written that helps emergency managers, political leaders, or community leaders put together a civil defense organization. It's, it's a guide. You, you should do something like this. You don't have to. It's not hard and fast. This is a rule, but right. it's a guide for right. what to do. And, that, and that's available. Anybody uh, wants to send me a, a, a message or something from my information we'll give here in a little bit, I can send it to them. That's a good segue. How could people get a hold of you if they're looking for you? Well, uh, you can go to Facebook at Civil Defense VA, or you can go to, uh, unfortunately, our website's still under development. I spoke with the, the developer yesterday, and he's been out of town for a while, but it, it's coming. It's, it, the, the website is civildefenseva.org, and my email is preston at civildefenseva.org. And I'm on LinkedIn just by my name, Preston Leroy Schleinkofer. And also I have my, my son lives in Washington state. My stepson lives in California. I've got siblings in Oregon and I've got great friends down in, in Texas area. So I've been wanting to expand some way to, to get the information out to others that, you know, that would want to look at stuff because it, it's more relevant to them and it doesn't say Virginia on it. So I'm, I'm starting a uh, radio podcast program of my own. Cool. It's called civil defense radio. Go figure. And uh, <laughs> the, the website is, is almost ready to go live. I've got a couple problems with some, some buttons on it that I need to fix. And my Facebook page is live. It's at civil defense radio. So you can get a hold of me through, through any number of those too. Oh, that's awesome. Well, and let you know that everybody, obviously, if, if you're in the show notes, they'll have all this information down there. So if you're driving down the road and your pencil's not sharp, uh, go ahead and uh, you can just wait to click onto those links uh, in the show notes. We're coming here to close to the end, and I have just a couple more questions for you. Okay. So one is, and this is what we're kind of getting into, what book or books do you recommend to people <laughs> that want to get involved in civil defense? There's There's so many, but just... To back up a little bit, Raven Rock. I just got that off of Amazon the other day, and I started reading it. I, I just finished the uh, introduction, and uh, uh, already I'm going, wow, I, I like this book. Because remember, I was one of them 
who was going to go to the secret safe place up in the Virginia Hills that, you know, that my wife couldn't go to, you know, there, there are these places out there, even though some people are saying they don't exist. So, <laughs> anyways, my first book that I read on my journey was One Second After by William Fortune. That really got me going because even though I spent 12 years in the nuclear, biological, chemical defense business in the, in the military, we didn't cover EMP. It was little, very little about it. So this gave me a different idea of what it was about and the catastrophes that it can bring with, you know, just something simple. And, and this is a real threat. We have two North Korean satellites circling the U.S. right now. And we don't, you know, uh, as far as open source, we don't know if they're nuclear capable or not. They could be detonated over top of the United States anytime. And then, you know, all of our electricity is shut down uh, and we go back to Little House on the Prairie. Uh, right. we also, the Iranians and North Koreans both have been, have been caught sending Scud missiles off of freighters. And matter of fact, there was, there was one in a freighter that was seized, that was uh, North Korean, that was seized down in South America, I believe it was. I, I, I may be mistaken, but uh, we have a real threat. If you fire a Scud missile with a nuclear warhead on it from the Gulf of Mexico and it reaches you know, those things go a thousand miles. If it reaches, let's say, two to 300 miles above the United States, it knocks out the East, Texas, and Western grids. It, it's, right. You know, so, oh, there's, there's no threat of that. Well, yeah, there is, buddy. You just haven't read enough. So the second book is Michael Mabey's The Civil Defense Book. It's great. If I was to write a book about civil defense, it'd be, it'd be what he wrote. So I don't have to do it. The Modern Survival Manual, Surviving the Economic Collapse by Fernando Aguirre. This book will open your eyes. This is from a financial collapse in Argentina in 2001. And what happened during that is unimaginable. The thin veneer of civility disappears very quickly in times of crisis. And just for sensitive ears, it is horrific what happens to women and children during a crisis such as that. So. We'll leave it at that. And people in the rural areas. People in the rural areas are, are targeted because you can't hear them scream. The, uh, the next book is Triple Threat Power Grid Exercise by an organization that I'm a part of called InfraGuard. Oh, yeah, it's Infraguard. the InfraGuard National EMP SIG or, or Electromagnetic Pulse Special Interest Group. This has some of the top people in the country as part of this thing. And uh, there's always some great information. And this, this right here is, is three exercises, cyber, cosmic, and EMP exercises that any emergency manager can put into his training matrix and go down the abyss and see how far it goes. And then uh, Electric Armageddon by Dr. Vincent, Peter Vincent Pry is a good one. And you wouldn't think it, but Ted Koppel, he's a prepper. He wrote a book called Lights Out, and it's all about how – the our grid is susceptible to cyber. And he, he says that the, the Russians, Chinese, Iranians, and North Koreans are already in our grid. All they got to do is flip the switch, which a lot of the reporting lately has confirmed all that. That's a, real, that's a really good book. Yeah. And then on the religious front, Be Thou Prepared. It helps people understand the Christian perspective of being prepared for emergencies. He says in there that you can't help a person spiritually if you can't help them 
physically. So you have to meet their physical needs first. And then the last one is Survival Theory by Jonathan Hollerman. The first six chapters in that are the meat and potatoes as far as I'm concerned. It is a a great book. He's a uh, former Air Force SEER instructor, and he knows what he's talking about. And then I also have two magazines that I read on a regular basis, Survival Guide Magazine and Off-Grid Magazine by Recoil. Recoil Magazine, it's a, it's a gun mag. Oh, very good. Those are some really good recommendations. So before I let you go, is there anything else that you'd like to say to the emergency manager out there? Yes. Expand your thinking. Don't be afraid of political correctness because if you're looking truly at what your community needs, you're going to have to address some issues that politicians may not want to or bureaucrats may not want to. But, you know, it's for the safety and security of your community and the lives that you save through preparedness are going to thank you later because you got to remember that your preparedness today is your survival tomorrow. Preston, thank you so much for your time today. It was a pleasure talking to you. I'd love to have you on again sometime. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. 